Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Iceland is the country in the world with the most happy, the world's most happy people. Uh, well, they're not going to be happy after it falls 95%. No. <laughs> uh, so two things he did. He was smart enough to get out of the stock market, but not smart enough to get out of the currency, which fell 50%. Oof. So he, he lost. This is the How to Trade Stocks Options podcast, brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Yule. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, we have a special lesson for you. I'm putting it here on the podcast because I really believe that this is going to provide you massive, massive value. And that's what I'm trying to do here. And hey, listen, if this podcast was useful to you at all, I really highly suggest that you go check out the full trading course at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks Options podcast. Today, I have a very special guest online, Dr. William Zimba. He is a very renowned author, consultant, and professor, and uh, it is quite the honor for him to be on the line with us today. Dr. Zimba, thank you so much for coming on. Hey, thank you. Thank yeah. you for the you know, I, I do got to say, um, Dr. Zimba was was very gracious. We had some technical difficulties getting started, and um, I, I I am so grateful for for your time, even though we went a little little extra um, getting started. But thank you so much for that. So let's uh, let's jump right into this. So you were you were telling me just a minute ago um, about the Fed, what's going on out there, and that well, th they're just going to have to raise one, rates. One thing that's happened is the the market. In the U.S., uh, there's different parts. Now, I study small caps and large caps, and I trade them, uh, and I also trade equities. Now, the the Fed has a lot to do with what's what's going on. Now, what we had in 2020 was in February the VIX volatility had been 10 for the entire previous year, mm -hmm. way too low. Then we had COVID hit in the February and the market fell 35% in 20 days from 3,200 on the S&P to 2,100. And the VIX went from 11 to 85. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that was a terrible time. Then the Fed acted 
and they, they put trillions into the market. And the market has rallied ever since. And it's moved from 2100 to 4250. Now, historically, I study anomalies. And the first book I wanted to talk about that we talked about is called Calendar Anomalies. So in the Calendar Anomalies book, I study these effects. And one of them is options expiry. Mm -hmm. And what I found is that the minus three day before holidays, before options expiry is usually the most positive. Options expiry is usually positive. Mm -hmm. However, what happened this time? Jeremy Siegel of Wharton, who's very influential, he's one of the top bulls on Wall Street. He's a professor at Wharton, University of Pennsylvania, came on and said the obvious. We had thought about this. There is inflation everywhere in the world. O oil has moved up a lot. The Canadian dollar has moved up a lot. China's got all sorts of stuff. So, Siegel said, Powell may give you a bombshell today. So, I didn't know for sure what was going to happen. So, what I did is I had some things and I just cashed them all out right then. Out. And actually, it was the correct thing to do because uh, Powell didn't do much. He just said, ooh, we're going to just start taping just a little bit, just a little, little bit, and, and then we're going to, to do things, and we're going to have interest rate rise in 2023, two years from now. Anyway, Chris, more than likely, it will be sooner. But and they'll be forced into that. If they've got a big problem in the Fed, they're very sharp, they're very brilliant. And uh, Yellen, I mean, Powell is sharp, but he's not as sharp as, as Yellen was. Yellen is better. But see, Yellen was, was kicked out as head of the Fed because Trump cannot do anything with a woman. <laughs> he hates them, <laughs> you know, and it's terrible. He's well, it, nothing about Trump. But it, but anyway, you're from Texas. I won't say it anymore. That's okay. <laughs> but, you know, we do follow the politics of Texas, by the way. Um, so in any event, what happened was uh, Paul just, just eased into just a little bit. But that was enough of a move to scare the market of what's going to happen in the future. We've had a, a four-day sell-off the last for the, today was options expiry, et cetera. I don't know how much more it's going to come down, but we'll have to see. But basically, there's a little more risk in the market. The VIX has come up a bit and, and, and so forth. So that, that's the sort of thing. Anyway, all the calendar stuff, I have very good stuff in my book called Calendar Anomalies and Arbitrage. And that one is paperback or hardback it uh it's world scientific it's on amazon yes i was and just gonna say we're gonna have the links to all of dr yeah. zimba's books down so, below in any event chris so what, what's in there is i was the first one to play the turn of the year effect okay and i did it for 14 years and i won every year i i was a small trader professor but I had 7% of the volume. 
Whoa. Uh, okay. So what happened was Morgan Stanley invited me to New York to teach it to them. <laughs> and I did. Uh, and uh, that was fun. Uh, unfortunately, once I taught it to Morgan Stanley, uh, they had a lot more resources than me. And <coughs> that plus the fact that the volume of the value line was drying up. So I had to retire. So I retired and I didn't do it for a few years. Then Blair Hall, a very famous trader in Chicago, asked me to teach him about calendar anomalies. And he gave me a contract and I did the, the calculations with an assistant. And we wrote it all up in this, in this book. It's chapter one of the book. It's 80 pages. Oh, very cool. And it has all sorts of stuff. Then what happened was I, I rediscovered that I could go back in the turn of the year with the Russell, the Russell 2000. Mm -hmm. So then I did that for six more years. So, so you were playing something else and then that stopped working and then you came back to the Russell and it well, still worked? Is that what you're saying? Well, actually, it, it, it actually continued to work throughout. Okay. But I didn't do it. I, I did it for 14. I had a pause. This is all, by the way, in the book. I write. The, see, what I do, Chris, I guess I'm different from everyone else. I write everything down. Yeah. And, and I don't care if it has, I can still do it. I can give lectures on it and so forth. And I'm, the market's still deep enough I can do what I want. And I make enough so I'm comfortable. Um, and um, so, so what happened was I then did it for six more years mm -hmm. with, the, with the Russell. And it did win all six. Then there was the loss. Then at the end of 2015, I think it was 15, there was a quarter point increase in the interest rates in December and the threat of a lot more in the next year. Right. Okay. But it never that. materialized. But that screwed up the market. The, the thing failed that year. And then I ca you cash out, you know, you, you have a little bit of a loss. Then what I did was I, I went on vacation until Trump left. But you were on I a long know, vacation. <laughs> I know that there's if if you look at my, my second book, which is called Great Investment Ideas, there's a paper in there on small caps with Democratic presidents. And you'll find I found the following. With a Democratic president, you make 20 times more money. The, being long the small caps as opposed to 60-40. 60-40 wow. is a standard strategy. Right. Okay. Now, when Biden came in, the script said the small caps are going to fly. Right. When did they start flying? October. They did. Yeah, I remember seeing that. When did they stop flying? March. Uh-huh. So I played it, uh, and I have graphs because I, I did it with real money. Uh, I did it three times uh, in, the, in the futures market. 
Now, the reason, and they won each of the three times. Now, the reason I did three times is I had a hip operation for my right hip. And I didn't want to do the trading while I was in the hospital yeah. because who knows what's going to happen. So I so have the hospital, then I would come out and then re-enter, et cetera. So it did work. It was a strong effect. And that affects stocks like Berkshire Hathaway. I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett. And uh, by the way, what was interesting with Warren Buffett, during the uh, COVID period in early 2020, everybody thought Buffett was stupid because he was not buying at this low level. And people said, oh, he's stupid, he's lost it, et cetera. Can I tell you something? If you look at his 53-year record, <laughs> he's beaten the S&P by double uh, you know, over long periods of time. And uh, he is still brilliant, uh, so forth. Now, of course, in some of the years, he doesn't beat it as much, but anyway. But he's had a very good year now. The stock moved from the 170 area to uh, I think it's 280 or something. I, I have a lot of stuff. I, what I do is I play around with long positions, uh, puts and calls, and mm -hmm. I have all sorts of stuff I, I play with. Yeah. So that, that's, what, that's what I do. So anyway, Chris, the way the market is, Zweig is one of the best predictors. So, now, so are you talking about Marty Zweig's formula? Yeah. So, yeah. so what, what we do is John Sweetai, who's one of my racing friends, keeps it up with me. We have a, a paper, which I will send you, yes, that we, we published in a Wilmot magazine. Now, the Zweig stuff is very tedious. You know, it's tedious, the recipes to do it. But it works. It's worked during all of 2020 and 21. Basically, it says, be long the market or be out. So yeah, the formula we're talking about here is uh, straight out of this book. I remember reading through this. One of my goals this year is actually to read a uh, 100 books over the course of the year. And uh, I remember reading that earlier on this year in this book. So, mm -hmm. Well, he, he was very good. Uh, I can tell you uh, one, one thing he, he did that was, was great. On the night of Friday before the 1987 crash, I, I was watching Wall Street Week. He was a columnist that night. Mm -hmm. And he said, I don't know how much the market's going to fall on Monday, but it's going to be a lot. Really? Okay. And, and so he called it perfectly. And of course, it fell. Uh, now, you have to know, Chris, that my horse racing stuff, one of the people who assisted me in the beginning is Mark Rubenstein of Berkeley, who basically he and my dear friend, uh, Hayne Leland, had this firm, LOR. Leland O'Brien Rubenstein, and they had portfolio insurance, but it was a flawed portfolio insurance, and they got wiped out that day. Portfolio and, uh, insurance in like the form of puts or something else? Well, or? no, no. What it was is they were doing, puts are safe, okay? 
what 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 they were using was shorting futures. Oh, so when okay. the market would fall, they would short more. Okay, and that was the formula. Now they had they, there were two professors and a marketing guy, and they had sixty billion dollars under management. That's a Not little bit. Bad. <laughs> they were getting ten basis points uh, fee. Yeah, but that's sixty million dollars per year. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, they got wiped out because the futures fell 29% that day. The cash fell 22% that day, but they forgot that the correct price is the futures price. They said, oh, maybe, maybe it's not so much. And they, they were asleep at the wheel and they didn't, they didn't get out. So basically, they got wiped out, even though they're both very smart guys, but smart people can lose mm, as, as wow. good as uh, not so smart people. Yeah. And it, it hurt them personally. They both got divorces. I know them. They were friends of mine. And, and uh, Rubenstein was the one who convinced me when I was visiting at Berkeley in 1976 to look at the stock market. I'm sorry, to look at racing as a stock market. And that got Don Hosh and I, who worked with me on all the racing books, uh, interested in looking at it as a stock market. And, and that's how we did our, our, our models and our systems as well. Uh, Thorpe was very nice and did the, the foreword for our book, uh, Beat the Racetrack, in 1984. And, and the, uh, uh, the update that's called Dr. Z's Beat the Racetrack 1987. Both of them are reprinted by a reprint house that reprints so-called classics. But they're, they're hardback, but it's cheap. They don't cost very much. Right. And, and they're still, the, the, the model still works. The only thing you have to do in the modern era, I mean, it's, it's basically uh, uh, theory that we developed many, many years ago. Nowadays, you have rebates at the stock at, at the uh, racetrack, so you need, need to do that, and you have to do, make a couple of little adjustments. But more or less, the idea works. It's behavioral finance, basically, mm -hmm. so forth. So. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've got several books. Um, you and I yeah. were talking ahead of time. I think we're talking, you said somewhere in the 40 book range. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Let me, let me tell you my, yeah, my thing. I started out, and the first book was called Stochastic Optimization Models in Finance. And I, I did the work, uh, most of it, in 1972, I was at Stanford. Uh, and I did the work there, and it was in Carl Schell's uh, series. And it has some of the, the best papers, and we put in introductions, and we had a vast number of problems. I mean, I put in problems there that later became papers written by guys as smart as Robert Merton. I have one problem in there, and Robert Merton read, Merton won the Nobel Prize, you know, for for um, for option price. He's a brilliant guy. Oh wow! He's at he is he was he's at uh, MIT now. He was at Harvard, and and he. Um, uh, I know him because I've met him. I've talked to him. But anyway, he wrote one. So we have stuff like that in the book. And the book was good. 
uh, what I was most treasured about is Kenneth Arrow, the world's greatest economist of the last century in terms of brain, brain power. Paul Samuelson is the greatest economist of the last century in actual production. Uh, and I was pleased to be friendly with both of them. They were both advisors to my handbook series. They both have died, unfortunately, uh, but I had a lot, of, a lot of contact with them. Arrow actually used the book in a course at Stanford. So if, if Arrow was so brilliant, it's beyond belief. I mean, I have in my memoirs book, which I, I push because it's got 100 pages of colored pictures, which <laughs> I talked the publisher into. And it has all these stories about the people I work with. Uh, it's called Adventures of a Modern Renaissance Academic in Investing in Gambling. It's paperback and hardback. And I've got all this consulting stuff in there, the travel and stuff going to Petra, going to Egypt, going around Afghanistan. You know, I did, unfortunately, I did a lot of nice things. Uh, so that was fine. And then I have the stuff on, on the trading <coughs> in there. So that's fine. That's sort of more of a, uh, a memoir kind of book. And uh, there's a couple of times when you, you get into uh, uh, Madoff type characters. I, I did uh, work for one guy who was a Madoff type character. And uh, there's a story about him. Uh, I did work with, with Thorpe a lot. He's mm -hmm. Thorpe, the most brilliant. He's the, he's the most brilliant. How did you, how did you come, come across uh pass with, with Ed Thorpe? So to give the audience well, some context, um, Ed he, Thorpe is actually, actually one of the uh, market wizards. He actually had Chris, a 1971 Kelly criteria paper. Mm -hmm. And I reprinted it in the 75 book, the stochastic optimization models in finance. Uh, by the way, if any of you, your listeners are theory people or professor types or students, uh, McLean and I have two more things you might want to get. We have a problems book, which has all the problems from the stochastic models in finance, plus new ones we made, uh, plus introductions and it's paperback, it's very thin. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, so forth, but it's, it's very nice and it's cheap. And anyways, it's, it's called Problems in Portfolio Theory and the Fundamentals of Financial Decision-Making. So that's good. And then we have, if you wanna read the, 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 the heavyweight papers, we did a two volume handbook and it's again for World Scientific, and it's called Handbook of the Fundamentals of Financial Decision Making. I, I think it's just hardback, but it has all the all the great papers on the theory of portfolio management. So if you if you'd like to, for example, read two books and and get a PhD at Yale, <laughs> uh, this this will this will do it for you. Oh, I, I should pick up those books but, for, uh, for my I goals this year. But I can tell you, though, some of those papers are not so easy to read. <laughs> no, I get it. Uh, um, do you know uh, so, Michael Covell and his trend-following books? No. Uh, okay. So uh, Michael Covell wrote uh, trend-following. He also did a lot of work with the uh, the Turtles uh, from the 80s. And in his most recent version of the trend-following book, 
there's like two thirds of the book is, is papers, the academic papers, like you're talking about. And I was yes. like, oh man, this is making my brain hurt. <laughs> so I know exactly what you mean. Can I, can I tell you a, a, tor- a turtle story? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I live in Vancouver as, as you know. So the phone rang and two guys were on the phone and they said, we are in Las Vegas. We know about you. We're looking for consultants in investments and we have our own airplane. Can we come up and visit you? So I've made it a policy that if somebody wants to visit me and they have their own airplane, (laughs) I always want to talk to them. It's a good policy. So, So the two guys were a guy called Harry McPike. Okay. Now, Harry McPike is not known to a lot of people, but he's one of the world's greatest trend followers. Ah. Now, Harry started out in Vienna. He did not like going to school. By the way, this is all written up in my book, Adventures, if you want to read it. Perfect. So so what, what Harry did is he started to study blackjack. And he worked on it for several years. He sort of reinvented what Thorpe had done years before and published in, in Beat, the, uh, Beat the Dealer. Mm-hmm. But Harry didn't know about those books. So Harry goes to a casino when he's 21 years old. You have to have a passport to get in the casino in Vienna. Mm, okay. So he had $4,000 that he had earned by by a summer job. With blackjack, you have a slight edge, but you can easily lose if if the cards don't go your way. Anyway, he managed to lose 2,000 of the 4,000. Then he looked over to another table and there was another guy playing the same kind of systems as me. And, and so he went over to the other guy and he said, well, how can you be playing the systems I just invented? And the other guy said, you dummy, this is just out of Thorpe's book. I just follow what, what he says to do. And so they became friends. They went around the world and they played in 100 countries blackjack. Oh, wow. They were banned in 40 <laughs> and they made a couple million apiece. Harry then retired from the thing because, see, if you make money in blackjack, they don't really like it. No. If, so forth. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, so what happened was they then, Harry went into the computer business in Vienna, and then he got a job with the turtles. That's where the turtles come in. Okay. And then they had all sorts of formulas on sheets of paper yes. and he, he being a good computer guy programmed it all. Then he moved to Nassau made when I was with him, which was 1995 to 2000, he had about $600 million that oh. he had made. Now, Harry was the type that he would never invest 10 cents in something until he completely analyzed it. So what I did for him, they invited me to consult and I did for five years. 
in, in Nassau, which was a lot of fun because we'd have lunch at the Ocean Club where, where all the rich people get married. And, and uh, he would pay me a bit. And he gave me $5 million to, to manage. And I, I, did, uh, I, I turned the $5 million into the 7.2. Now, what happened was my job was to uh, teach them about academic stuff, uh, teach them about people they could hire, young people, mm-hmm. and then to evaluate the employees. Now, Harry did not like the people in Vienna, that he's his friends. He did not really like the people in, in, in Nassau. He kind of liked me because I was telling him things he didn't know. Yeah. So I had a good time and so forth until I made the fatal mistake. The fatal mistake was Harry. Here's, I said to Harry, Harry, you and Joanne, his wife is called Joanne. She's a famous, uh, a, a very good uh, uh, photographer. You and Joanne pick up people at two o'clock in the morning who come to visit here. You, you clean up the coffee in the, uh, in the office and you do all these things. Why do you do this when you're worth $600 million? And, 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 and I said, well, why don't you hire yourself an office person to take care of all these things? You don't have to do all this stuff. So he did. The problem was he didn't hire a, just a guy who wanted to take care of the coffee. He wanted somebody, he hired somebody who wanted to take care of the money. <laughs> you, you follow the money. You see? Yeah. So what happened was this guy had to kick the Canadian professor out somehow. So they constru- he constructed a, a story to kick me out. <laughs> so unfortunately, I, I, I lasted, lasted from... Uh, 1995 to 2000. I had a wonderful time during those five years. Yeah. I was a little bit mad to be kicked out. But on the other hand, uh, that's the way the investment business is. Now, can I tell you a story that Thorpe told me? Yes, please do. It's the relationship between gambling and the stock market. Okay. A reporter comes up to Dr. Thorpe. Dr. Thorpe, why did you switch from gambling to the stock market? He said there were three reasons. Number one, if I lost money, they wouldn't break my knees. Number two, if, if I, it was, I was in a bigger game, I thought I would make more money. And number three, which is maybe the, the most important, I thought I would meet a better class of people, but I was young and naive in those days. And it's been my experience, Chris, that the most ruthless people, the most rotten people, are the ones, you know, dealing with money in the stock market. Yikes. The gambling yeah. people are much more, more straightforward than honest. <laughs> you know, when you were telling that story about how uh, two guys from Vegas called you on the phone and said, we know who you are and we have a plane and we're coming for you. That's where my head was at, was they were coming to break your knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway. No, so so anyway, Harry is now grown much bigger. Uh, he's up to three billion. Wow! And every uh, three months or so, there's some reporter from London who calls me 
and wants to ask about my time with him because they, they're interested in him. He's kind of secretive. And he's got all sorts of businesses, et cetera, very successful. And, and it's trend following. What I did is I helped him set up a, see, the way it is, you have about 100 different futures contracts. They're correlated. You go long some, you go short some, you switch around. And then what, what you do is you figure out how much to bet on each one. Now, we have mathematical theories. Thorpe is very interested in this. I'm very interested in it. We have the best handbook of the Kelly criteria. It's called the handbook of the uh, Kelly criteria. The, is and, that the Kelly, uh, Kelly Capital Growth Investment Criterion? Book, yes. Yes, okay. Now, that's a book of, of, of theory. So it's heavy theory. So readers who would like to get theory can get that. But if they want to have something more practical, they should get my book, Great Investment Ideas. Mm -hmm. I have in there simpler stuff to read, simulations and response to Paul Samuelson who wrote me three letters. So what I did for Harry was to tutor a fellow who was from Caltech. Now, Caltech physics people are very smart. Uh, and this fellow picked it up right away. And I, I taught him how to do Kelly investing. And he set up a model for Harry to size the bets better with uh, Kelly. He was doing what's called, Chris, probability weighting, which is bet more money on the better things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, but I Kelly does it better. I have a question about the Kelly Criterion, um, and I think you're the perfect person to ask. Uh, part of the Kelly Criterion is the um, the expectation, right? So like in a, a game of blackjack, you have a probability, no matter what, on whatever card is drawn. How do you relate that to the um, to investing or trading when you don't necessarily know the probability and you can also not play? How do you, how do you factor that in? Well, the first thing is, Chris, in every investment thing, there's two things. There's getting the mean right, which is the expected return. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know exactly what the mean is, but it must be positive. It must be that when you bet a dollar, you get on average more than a dollar. Right. If you are less than a dollar, you will lose. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're not going to have a mathematical system that changes bets that are worth less than a dollar into winning bets. You might use some options in some clever way to jugger it. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I can see in that. In general, no. Yeah. So, so the first thing is you have to have bets with a positive expectation. Right. Then, what the Kelly does is the if it's a bet on one thing, the Optimal bet is the edge over the odds. So, for example, suppose it's an even money horse race. Okay. Then the odds are one. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then suppose the edge is 10%. How much do you bet? You bet 10% of your fortune. Really? Okay. Suppose that the edge is 10%, but the odds on the horse are five to one then you do 10 over five is 2%. Okay. So notice as the odds get lower, so you bet less. Right. Now, 
you don't know exactly what the expected value is, but you have to approximate it. Mm-hmm. Now, suppose you have more than two bets, two bets or three bets or a whole portfolio of bets. Sure. Now, Warren Buffett, if you look in the, in the book, Great Investment Ideas, I have Warren Buffett, George Soros, and John Maynard Keynes are Kelly betters. They don't necessarily know the mathematics. Keynes, of course, knew the math. He, he was good in math. Uh, uh, Buffett is, has intuition and Soros has intuition. What do you get with Kelly? If you have, say, 100 assets, 100 assets, what will Kelly do? Full Kelly, which is risky. It's the riskiest utility function you ever want to use because the, the Aero Pratt risk aversion index is one over W, almost zero. Okay, so w- what, you do, what happens is you will only get about five assets picked. So Kelly will pick up five of the, five, the best five. So you put all your money in five of them. So what happens is you'll have ups and downs, ups and downs a lot, but in the end, make more money. Mm-hmm. Now, when I was at MIT visiting in 2005, I had the head of the Ford Foundation there. They had a sharp ratio better than Buffett. And I'm listening to this guy and I say, this guy is reasonably smart, but he ain't no Buffett. <laughs> Come on. That's, you're kidding me. So I, I said, well, let me find a, a, a way to measure so I show that that Buffett is better than the Ford Foundation. Now, the Ford Foundation, the deal was they have to make 5% per year for tax things and 0.3 for expenses. So they have to make 5.3 each year or, or a little bit more. So they have a lot of assets that are illiquid and they don't measure them properly. So what happened was I, I, I did a measure. I, I created a measure for the greatest investors. It's in the book, uh, um, Great Investment Ideas. Okay. It's reprinted. There's two papers in there. Now, one thing I did, I then went back to Buffett and looked at my measure. Does it improve Buffett? It turns out Buffett was the only one improved. And he improved from about 0.7 to 1. Soros is about 0.7, and everybody else was less. And there mm-hmm. were about six of these. So that's so why I learned that. Why, why was he not there? The reason was <coughs> he has all sorts of gains, but he has all sorts of losses. And the losses bog him down. So yeah. people are interested to can look at my measure. And that's to evaluate the greatest investors. So then what I did is I evaluated my friend Thorpe. Now, Thorpe had 20 years of his fund, and he made 20% net gross. He took about a 4% fee, which was worth $8 million for him per year. And then, but, but he performed well. Three monthly losses in 20 years. Three monthly losses in 20 years. That is fantastic. Mm-hmm. So what is he on my measure? Buffett is the one, and we know Buffett is great. What is Thorpe? Thorpe is 13.8. Did you say 13? 0.8. Whoa. 
I was not expecting. Yeah. I thought you were going to say yeah. like two. Now the question <laughs> is, is, is Thorpe the best? Well, he's very good. He's one of the best, but he's not the best. The best that we found was Simon's Renaissance Medallion. Ah, now, okay. Renaissance Medallion um, is 26.4. They're 26.4. Okay, now why are they 26.4? They almost never lose. <laughs> they, 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 they have 80 people. They're all math and physics guys getting short and long-term trades. By the way, a long trade is eight seconds. <laughs> so, so they're doing oh, all this Oh, stuff. this is, uh, this is okay. uh, what is his name? So, uh, the man who solved the market, Jim Simons. That's who you're talking about, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah, so the eight seconds is the long term. I get it. Okay. Somehow I, I've I've lost you. I've got myself on the on the screen. I can still hear you and see you well, though. You're perfect. Oh, on are my you end. okay? Yeah. So anyway, uh, anyway, Chris, I had a little bit of a connection with Simons. Mm -hmm. uh, we were in in Los Angeles, and a guy called Jim Fix, who's a famous mathematician was one of the first ones devising strategies for Simons. And Jim wanted me to go to New York and talk to Simons and explain Kelly betting to him. Now, I missed one thing before. If you have multiple bets, you have to solve a stochastic program. It's an optimization of stochastic optimization. Now, my PhD was in stochastic programming, so I know how to do this stuff. Okay. So anyway, I meet with Simons. He's, he's very brilliant mm -hmm. in a New York restaurant, and I teach him about Kelly criteria. We was have a nice smoking? lunch. Uh, he, I heard he he's wasn't, a total chain well, smoker. I, I, know, I know he smokes. But, <laughs> but anyway, he, he, he in fact, um, was very gracious. We have over, but I, but I didn't consult with him after. Uh, I know that he runs a shop where you basically cannot leave his shop. He won't let you. He'll sue you if you leave. Oh, wow. Et cetera. A couple of people have left, et cetera. One of my colleagues uh, got a chair from one of his people who left at Stony Brook. Uh -huh. So I know how it is. So basically, the system that, that, that Simons does is brilliant. What he does is he has brilliant people looking for strategies. They carry out the trades. <coughs> he lets them invest in the fund. And then he takes the majority of the fees. Mm -hmm. They own part, a little bit of the fund, and they're also investors in the fund. Uh, I was giving a lecture in London, and... The, somebody in the audience liked my talk, and they were with a big uh, hedge fund who were customers of, of Renaissance Medallion. So they gave me the data, and, and I used the data to uh, calculate um, his record. Now, uh, for a certain period of time, basically, they almost never lose. There's very, very few times, and they don't win like Thorpe 20 percent mm -hmm. they made like 60 80 yeah, 90, yeah. 55 you know huge numbers they're 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 really into that now 
the other funds that they have in the stock market have failed. They have not worked. But the one that does fast trading based on research of basically mathematical and physics people, uh, not MBAs, no MBAs allowed, <laughs> that's for sure, uh, they, they, they're, they're very good at it. Uh, and, and they continue. I've gotten some of the data, which I put in, in some of my books. There's a thing called Zero Hedge that had some of the data. Yeah. And I'm a so, zero hedge. so it's very hard to get the data. Yeah. Can I tell you one thing? Yes, please. There is a guy who, who uh, was working for Simons and he, he, he was allowed to quit and he made a lot of money and he's so fat that he cannot walk through a door. Now, one of my friends got a chair at Stony Brook uh-huh. that was funded by this guy. And, and so I tried to get the data from my friend through this guy. Uh-huh. And, you know, you, you, it's, they won't give it up, okay, to be honest. Okay. By the way, there's a Wall Street book by some reporter from the New York Times, which is... It's absolute bullshit. I've talked to the guy. He doesn't know his ass from third base. What's the book? So I highly don't recommend Zwag, I think his name or something. Anyway, I, I highly don't recommend this guy's book. What's the book? <laughs> What's the book? I got to know. I, I don't know. It's something about uh, something about Simons. Uh, is it the uh, uh, the man who solved the market book? It, 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 it may be, but I, okay. I really disliked him tremendously. Because huh. I, I told him stuff that was really, really valuable. And, and he, he just couldn't understand it or something. Anyway, so much for that. Okay. Um, so anyway, Chris, um, you've been trying to let me talk. And I actually was able to mention all, all my books that I wanted to do, except for one. Okay. There's one called Stock Market Crashes. Yes. Now, Stock Market Crashes, I did with a guy from France and a guy from Russia. Now, the guy from Russia, I met in Manchester University in 19, uh, sorry, 2012. He was doing his PhD for Shiryev in Moscow and my host who's called Igor. Now Igor and Shiryev were were competitors. It's a lot like uh, Durant and and Giannis if you watched the basketball game last night, (laughs) which I did. Uh, So anyway, they're competitors and, and Shiryev lives part of the time in Kolmogorov's house. They were the students of Kolmogorov. Now Kolmogorov, for those your readers who don't know, was the great Russian probability theory person. So he's the kind of person that Berkeley or Stanford or Harvard or Chicago would create five different chairs for him in one minute if he wanted to come there. <laughs> he was that good. Now Kolmogorov of course has died and, and his house is in the countryside. I've been in the house because Shuri F invited me for a conference. So anyway, Mikhail, the student, and I uh, started working 
Mikhail gave a theoretical talk. So I, I listened to him and he was doing all this theory. I said, you know, you can apply this to Apple computer. So, so we, we wrote a paper on Apple computer. In 2012, Apple computer was shooting to the moon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was going up, 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 up all, all year long. So we applied the model. And the model said, get out when, when Apple was 680. Okay. Apple peaked at 708. That's pretty close. That's a good call. And then Apple fell to 380. Okay. Yep. So I have been a longtime investor in Apple Computer. Members of my family have Apple shares at 25 cents. Oh, wow. Uh, and and that's quite good for the family. Quite good. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, that was a good thing. Uh, so I'm, I'm interested in Apple Computer. So anyway, we wrote a paper on Apple Computer, and then we applied it to the Nasdaq. Uh, so and that's the first paper. The second paper we did was the Japan. I spent the year 89-90 in Japan as the first Yamishi professor of finance. Now, in Japan, if I might, Chris, talk about Japan. Absolutely. Now, now, I wanted to go to Japan to find out what the hell are they doing to get all the world's money. And I was offered to be this first professor. Now, in Japan, being a stockbroker is like being a garbage collector. Really? What's important in Japan are kabuki dancers, uh, sumo wrestlers, potters, uh, this kind of stuff. That's what's important. Okay. So the six biggest of the six biggest brokers firms in the world in Japan, four of them were in Japan. So I was invited to go to the, 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 the cheapest one that was. Yamaishi. Now, Yamaishi was number four in Japan, number six, or I, I'm sorry, it may not be so forth. Anyway, of the, of the four Japanese, they're, they're in the top six in the world. There's Deutsche Bank and, and, and a couple of others that are up there. So anyway, I interviewed to go to Tokyo. And I, I said I wanted a few conditions. One, a job for my wife, who's <laughs> smarter than I am. Uh, and I have to put my daughter in school. She was in the ninth grade, the third grade, red hair, very brilliant, like her mother. So anyway, and I want to have consulting, and I want to teach finance courses and, and so forth. So they, they agreed. And I said I would like to study uh, – Anomalies, like I've been studying in the U.S., like the calendar anomaly stuff. And I want to study stock market crashes because this is right after the crash of 87. Hmm, So they agreed. And the deal was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I was teaching. I had more energy then. (laughs) Monday, (laughs) Tuesday, Wednesday, I would teach at the university. And there were students from the university it was 60 kilometers above Tokyo. So I would teach there and I had, 
option courses and investments and so forth. And some people from the from the brokerage firm would, would take the train or or drive up there or something and clean the classes. And then on Thursday morning, I would take the train mostly to go to Tokyo. And that would take two to four hours, depending on the traffic, or I, or I would go by the uh, by the bus. So then I had one day of um, of of stock market crashes, and we studied crashes, and then the other day of anomalies, and then uh, those. Days, and then on Thursday night, I would be there. They put me in a nice hotel. I could have a simple dinner for a hundred dollars. <laughs> Everything was so expensive; nice. it was crazy. So anyway, I came up with a model for crashes. It was based on the '87 crash. You can read about it in this book, "Stock Market Crashes," and and it worked. We collected. You see, when you when you make a model, Chris, you want to have out of sample testing. So my out-of-sample testing was to use a U.S. model on Japanese data. Mm, okay. So the only Japanese data I had available, this was 1988, was 1948 to 88 in Japan. Now, what happened between 48 and 88? The market went up like crazy. It went up 550 times Whoa. in U.S. dollars and 220 times in yen. That's not percent, that's times. But, Interesting. But, but it had a lot of declines up and uh -huh. down. So what we did is we applied the model on this data and 12 times the model says it's in the danger zone, you should get out. Oh. And 12 times it fell at least 10% from the beginning of the signal. The signal was on day one. The market usually goes higher, 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 and then it falls 10% below. So then <coughs> there, were, there were 12 of them, but there were a few others that fell not for this reason. So the way the, the, the model works is you cannot expect to be perfect, but most of the time it works. Mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't tell you exactly where to get out. However, the model I do with, with Mikhail, the Russian fellow and the French guy, does tell you when to get out. So that's what's good about it. Okay. It's a fantastic model. It just looks at prices. And when the prices tell you to leave, you leave. Yeah. Okay. So people who do bubbles, like my friend Bob Jarrow at uh, Cornell, he's a very brilliant professor uh, and, and Prater of Columbia University, they work on how to find bubbles. The problem is they're hard, it's hard to find bubbles and, and we don't have to find the bubbles. We get out with the price. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so, so we, we have this model and so forth and it works. So what does Zimba, the consultant, do? Zimba, the consultant, gets treated royally. His wife is given orchids on her birthday. He's taken for golf and comes in fourth, which is what you have to do with the executives. 
other three executives and me, you have to be fourth. You can't beat them. You know, th- th- it would embarrass them. And, and, and they let me give lectures for 100 people. They pay me well, everything. And I work with these students. There are about 10 people in my group. Then in April of 2000, I'm sorry, in, in 1989, April, the model says, get out of the, of the Japanese market. We're in the danger zone. So I sent Ishii, who was my, my helper in this, up to talk to the executives in Japanese because the protocol was, I can't talk to them in English with the translator. By the way, I spent the whole year, Chris, talking to Mr. Okada, who was one of the executives and he would sit on one table, I would sit on the other table and we would talk stock market stuff, he in Japanese and me in English. Oh. And I did that the whole year, it was fantastic. Wow. Yeah, It was a translator and I learned a lot from him he learned a lot from me. So I was the, sort of the first one doing anomalies in Japan. And th- by the way, it's all in the calendar anomalies book, the road reprinted papers. Mm, right. So I send Ishii up to talk to them. Ishii knows perfect English. He has a master's from the university in the U.S. that is highest rated on the mean variance criteria. So I have to tell you, this is my joke. The joke is he went to a university called Yale. You may have heard of it. May have. Okay. At Yale, they had exactly one professor of finance. And, and so, so the variance was zero. But the, but the professor they had was Steve Ross, who was brilliant. Ross has died recently, but he was one of the most brilliant professors. So in terms of mean variance criteria, which my friend Markowitz <laughs> champions even now after 50 years, Yale was the best. Well, Yale's not the best. We know that. We know that uh, Chicago and, uh, and Stanford and, and other places are better. But anyway, so Ishii goes up and he says, Professor Zimba, uh, thinks that the market's really in danger and you should do something. And they say, well, we really like Professor Zimba, but can he really understand Japanese market? They're so different than the U.S. markets. Well, they didn't do anything. And in the first day of January 2000, 1990, the market started falling and it fell 56%. Oh, after it gone up 500 times. Okay. And guess what, Chris? In five years, Yamishi was bankrupt. The entire company was bankrupt. It's the greatest call I ever made in my life in consulting. I've had some good ones, but that's the greatest call. (laughs) And of course, they didn't listen. Right. But anyway, so that was it. So Sebastian Leo, my French friend, and I, applied that same model in 2006 to nine in the US, Iceland and China, okay? In 2006, I was at a conference in Iceland and I actually was able to do a four day hike, one day, 22 kilometers, which was great. 
It was a great company, country. My wife said, it's not a country, it's a hedge fund. <laughs> <laughs> so they have 300,000 people. <clears throat> I applied the model to Iceland in 2006. And Rachel, my daughter, my brilliant daughter, who worked for Rubini, and, and she's wonderful uh, in this stuff. She takes after her mother, brilliance. Uh, she and I wrote a book for Wiley called uh, Scenario Optimization or something. It's Zimba and Zimba. Okay, so in there, we looked at Iceland and we applied the model and the model said, for the large caps, it's not in the danger zone yet. But the small caps are in the danger zone. The reason was the PE ratio was 10, but they were making all this money with financial engineering. Mm -hmm. So, so the, we put that in the book. Uh, okay, the, the small caps are in the danger zone, the, the large caps are not. But what happened? What about the uh, uh, before? So then, we, the model moved into the danger zone into 2007. And when Lehman Brothers in 2008, September collapsed, they fell 95%. Yeah. And the colleague there who had given me a bunch of data and helped me with some of my writing on this stuff said, Iceland is the country in the world with the most happy, the world's most happy people. Uh, well, they're not going to be happy after it falls 95%. No. <laughs> uh, so two things he did. He was smart enough to get out of the stock market, but not smart enough to get out of the currency, which fell 50%. Oof. So he, he lost. Yeah. And the last I talked to him, he was searching for the world's happiest place to be to move to and that was malta <laughs> so anyway so that's the story of iceland it crashed like crazy now we did china and china crashed uh and then we did the big one the u.s and what the model said on june 14 2007 it said get out of the s p it's going to fall so what did we do? Well, we, we, we listened. I listened to the models. Uh, the S&P was 1,500 in that, in that period. And what happened to the model, the S&P? It fell to 666 on March 6th of 2009. Right. Okay. So, so, far, so the model worked perfect. We had the call. It worked a bit later. Mm -hmm. The usual deal, Chris, you get the signal and then it goes up. This is all in the book. I, I write all this stuff. I like that's what I like to do. So anyway, so then so then what you do is 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 it's a signal. So I explained all this to Harry uh, Markowitz, who's an, an old friend. Harry, is, it's nice to visit him. He's in San Diego. Now, Harry won the Nobel Prize. And when you go into his office, it says, I won the Nobel Prize. 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 You know, it's, it's so forth. He, he's he's into, really into 
what he did. And and even though he and my friend Sharp, who, who also won the Nobel Prize, I, I have actually better stuff in stochastic programming than what they do. But of course, how can they possibly use my stuff when they won the, the, the Nobel Prize of course. for a slightly inferior strategy <laughs> that they invented and right. set up so far? So anyway, so I'm in there talking to Harry and Harry says, Bill, that's very interesting. But why don't you apply this to a large sample of 50 or 60 years and also compare what you do to Schiller, who's on TV all the time saying the market's going to crash, the market's going to crash. And 90% of the time he's wrong. Mm -hmm. Once every 10 years, he's right. But of course, uh, he gets a lot of credit because he's a Yale professor. He won the Nobel Prize. He didn't deserve it. But uh, being on TV helps you win the Nobel Prize. His, his real estate stuff is excellent, though. You know, and, and his data is excellent. Mm -hmm. But the calls are, 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 are not good. But not, not, not I'm sorry, I, I wouldn't say it. He's, he's good, but he's not great, like they think. So, so Sebastian and I undertake to do this. We write a 40-page a, a paper, and we submit it to the Journal of Finance, the top journal. And the top journal says, we like it. This is nice. Why don't you revise it, uh, et cetera. But anyway, they then, <coughs> on the second round, <coughs> this shows what academic finance is like. They don't like stuff that works. If you can make money, they, don't, they hate it. So what happened with the second round, they said, well, this is interesting, but Zimba writes a lot of papers. And maybe he wrote, wrote this in some other paper. We don't know which one, but he probably did that. So we rejected it. So we had to publish it somewhere else, Chris. So where we published it was in the New York University. Uh, it's a black journal. And you can have long papers in there, about 80 pages. Mm -hmm. So Sebastian keeps working, he keeps working, he keeps working, and the paper grows to 80 pages. And uh, Anthony Saunders, uh, the NYU professor, accepts the paper, puts it in his journal, and it's published there. I can send you the paper if you want. Oh, please. sure. But, but it's all in the book. We put it yeah. all in the book. Okay, so what, we've, what did we find? The BSC, my model, which Sebastian jazzed up, uh, works the best. Schiller's model doesn't work bad. It, it actually works a bit. And one other idea. Graham and Dodd, 1934, had the idea to use 10-year earnings. Schiller uses this idea a lot. Uh, I don't know if he cites Graham and Dodd or not, but he's, he uses it all the time. We found that if you took the 10-year idea and put it into the, our model, BSEYD, then, then you, uh, you, it performs better. So both of them worked good, uh, so forth. So I, I was a little disturbed that a Nobel Prize winner said to comment on another Nobel Prize winner, and we couldn't get the paper published in the, in the best journal. Uh. But it's in, it's in a decent place, et cetera. Now, what's also in the book? One thing I'm proud of, Chris, is when the VIX changes direction, the volatility index, 
that gives you a signal. Mm-hmm. So I have three political examples in the book. One is the election of Donald Trump. One is the election of the French president. And one is the, the British Brexit. So they're in the book, but can I describe two of them? Sure. Donald Trump, as you know, hates Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. He hates women. He hates blacks. He hates anybody that's one of his pals. Uh, he is a very clever antagonist. Uh, whether or not they'll put him in jail is what it to be seen. <laughs> so forth. So the night of the election, the market thinks that if Trump is election, that, that if Hillary's elected, the market will rally. The, the market thinks if Trump is elected, the market will fall. So when the, the results were coming in and it turned towards Trump, the Dow Jones fell a thousand points. I remember that night. It was lock limit down. Yeah. Okay. Now, Carl Icahn mm-hmm. bought at the bottom. I bought at the bottom too for the following reason. Now, Icahn maybe is smarter than me. He probably bought because it was cheap. I bought because I listened to Trump, his, his mouth. Now, there are two Trumps. There's the Trump who hates everybody, who insults everybody, et cetera. And that's Trump number one. Mm-hmm. Then there's Trump number two. Trump number two is a guy who can read a, 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 a statement written by one of his colleagues. So one of his colleagues prepared a statement. And the statement said, I like Hillary. She's a great person. Congratulations, Hillary, on being a great person. That's when I bought. <laughs> <laughs> so so th- that was a big rally. I made, I made a lot. So that was good. It's, it, the story's in the book. <laughs> it, it was fun. It was good. And uh, I, I forgot what I made, but it was quite a bit, uh, you know. And then I, the French election. Now, the French election was, was tricky. First of all, I have traveled a lot in France. I know friends there. I, I like going there, et cetera. Uh, the, the politics I don't know that much about, but I did know one thing. There were 10 candidates. Five were for Frexit, which was to keep out the foreigners. Five were for democratic uh, things. Now, the, the deal was the two top ones go to a second election and that determines who becomes the head of the country. So what happened? Marie Le Pen, who was a great debater and a fierce anti-immigrant person came in as one of the two. The other one was Macron. Mm-hmm. Now, Macron was a Democratic uh, guy and, and so forth. Um, but the people who came in third and fourth were people who would support Macron, not Le Pen. So I knew for sure that Le Pen could not win the, the next round, that uh, Macron would win. So... 
Chris, the market flew. That's the most money I ever made in one night. Oh, wow. On the French election. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big player like uh, <laughs> some of them, but not too bad as a professor. Uh, so anyway, and then there's one uh, also on the Brexit. Um, so anyway, Chris, if you have more time, I could just mention a couple other books that people might consider getting. Sure, let's mention the books. There's, there's um, the Handbook of yeah. Futures. The Handbook of Futures is Malarius and myself. Malarius is a professor at Loyal in Chicago. He's quite a good theorist, does not trade, but he knows futures. We did the handbook, and I have two chapters in there that I did with other people that uh, well, first of all, we have a lot of chapters by all sorts of people from the CME and other places. So they're, they have excellent chapters. But the two that I did with, with people, one of them is how to lose money in derivatives. And what, what are the ways to lose money in derivatives? What's the way to avoid losing? And then we have a long list of people who lost money in derivatives. Basically, you overbet you get a bad scenario and you get wiped out. So right. we have long-term capital and many others. Okay, so that's one chapter. And the other chapter is, what's the return from buying and selling puts and calls, hedged or unhedged in normal markets, bull markets and um, bear markets? Okay, so we had fantastic data. There was a trader in Chicago who had a wife who was a professor. And the wife thought that what the trader was doing was not that scientific and that what she was doing academic stuff was more interesting. So he desperately wanted me to quote him in one of my books so he could show it to his wife <laughs> and, and prove to her that he did something that was, was academic stuff. So in exchange for putting his name in there, he gave me a lot of the data. I had a lot before, because I had done a previous paper, but Ziegler, who's in uh, Zurich, worked with me. Ziegler is a very good data guy at the Banking Institute in the University of Zurich. He's my friend. Anyway, Ziegler and I wrote, wrote this paper and we had, Chris, all the S&P options from 1985 to 2012. We had all of them mm -hmm. on the data set. And that was all the strikes, all the months. And so we analyzed that. So we have rules for what you should do on this. So, and that's, that's in that, in that uh, so forth. Uh, now, in terms of other books, um, well, let me look at my list here. <laughs> the, uh, for me, I like them. They're, they're like your children. You know? Of course, yeah. Okay. And actually, I really appreciate so, you, so, you know, so sharing Chris, the stories what in I have, Pretty cool. The, the last one we finished was called Handbook of Applied Investment Research. That was with John Gerard, who's McKinley Capital, and myself. Uh, I have a few papers in there. Uh, Markowitz has a few papers in there. They have stuff on fundamental anomalies, 
like uh, PE ratios and so forth. That's quite nice. It's paper and hardback. Uh, exotic bedding at the racetrack we talked about earlier. Crashes we did. Calendar anomalies we talked about. Uh, Kelly we talked about. Uh, NFL football. I have a guidebook for NFL football, which has strategies for uh, the coaches to look at and also the betting. Now, what we found in football is the market is essentially efficient. So when Las Vegas says that uh, the Packers are three-point favorite to beat the Bears, that probability is more or less correct. However, of course, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, is leaving. <laughs> my... my uh, my co-author is is a, a huge Aaron Rodgers fan, so uh, he I'm a huge Brady fan. <laughs> mm. um, uh, anyway, we we have all this stuff in in our new book, but but anyway, uh, what we found or I found, Land doesn't bet, so he just does theory, but I like to, to theory and bet. So what I found was there was a way to do this. Now. In 1982, I was consulting for the Canadian Sports Pool, and we went to Mexico City, and we went to the High Line. And in the High Line, what happens is the score is changing like crazy, and the prices are changing like crazy. So what I discovered was you could do mean reversion, risk arbitrage, and win in, in High Line. So the same thing applies to the stock market. I do it a lot. And the same thing applies to NFL football. The way it works is you bet on team, let's say it's New Orleans. Oh, actually, let's say it's the Atlanta Falcons and you're in the Super Bowl with Brady. Okay, so since I'm a fan of Brady, I bet... Uh, the Patriots long. Uh, as you recall, uh, the quarterback of uh, Atlanta, Matt Ryan, was very good. And the score was 28 to 3 starting the third quarter. So at that time, the odds for the Patriots to win were 30 to 1. I, of course, did not bet more, not very smart, <laughs> but because uh, I already had bets, you know, and also it's been my experience that if a team is two, two touchdowns behind or two touchdowns and a field goal behind, they can catch up. But when there's three touchdowns behind and a field goal, it's almost impossible to catch up. But you're dealing with Brady. Mm -hmm. And, and right. as, as we say in the column, we write columns about this. It's fun. With Brady, the impossible is routine. Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway, so what happens is Brady brings them back and they tie the game and they win the game, etc. So the strategy that wins almost all the time is – mean reversion, you watch the prices and you adjust your bets. Okay, now I have to tell you one 
Hooker that uh, in terms of the politics. You, you all know that Bill Belichick is renowned as one of the greatest coaches in history, but he is ruthless. Mm-hmm. He gets rid of players, kicks them out, etc. After that game, when Brady pulled the impossible as routine, Belichick had the nerve to offer Brady to the San Francisco 49ers in a trade. Really? Wow. I didn't know okay. that. Now, they did not take Brady. They actually took the, his understudy, who's their current quarterback, who's a decent quarterback, but he's no Brady. But Brady found out about this and was, of course, incensed. So decided that as soon as his contract was out, he would leave. And you all know that he went to Tampa Bay. Yep. And, and he did this smart thing. Not only did he go, he brought in a bunch of other great people uh, to work with him, like Gronkowski and, and um, Brown, etc. Now, uh, and of course, they won the Super Bowl, etc. No, let me off. let me tell you yeah, one sure. one one last thing, and I'll okay, in, cool, in cool, one, cool. Yeah. one minute. I just have to go pick up my kids. <laughs> oh, okay. So I'll tell you one last thing, Chris. It's been fun yes, talking. Okay. So what what Brady did is brought brought in all all, all these people, and 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 that that did it to, to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Len and I wrote a column about this. I'll send you. It's in our, our new book, but I'll send you. You can put it on your web if you want in terms of, of how, how it worked, so forth. So anyway, Chris, I'll, I'll sign off. You have to go for your kids. Uh, thank you. It's been good. Oh, could oh, you, oh. before could we you do that. you send me later let's, whatever you Yeah, let's do this you, real quick. You post when, when you get it together. Let's do this. And, um, and, we're going to make sure uh, we send everyone a- over to uh, the links down below to get your books. Um, sorry, we got to cut short. You know, we planned. No, on no, 30, that's, that's we, fine. We planned on a thirty-minute. We've done like nearly two hours, so no, <laughs> we've no, done really that, good. that's unfortunately the way I am. That's uh, you so know what? I've really enjoyed all these stories, so I, I certainly, absolutely appreciate that, and really do thank you for your time today, Doctor Z. Adventures has an awful lot of stories, so suggest your people to get that one. Yes, absolutely, and and really thank you for your time. That's great. Glad to do it. Take all right. Care. Bye Thank you now. guys for tuning in and we'll uh, we'll see you on the next yeah. episode. Yeah, okay. Bye for Thank now. you Dr. Z. We'll uh, we'll be in touch soon. Yeah, bye-bye. Okay, so what do you think? That was pretty incredible, right? Now, if you like that, that's only a taste, only a sample of what you're going to find in the full AI stock trading system. And I really highly encourage you to go and check this out. Obviously, you are interested in learning and how to trade, and that's why you're listening to this podcast. Now, I'm going to take and download my entire trading system that I use day in and day out onto you. <laughs> and the only way I'm going to be able to do that is over at the AIStockTradingSystem.com. You're going to get phase one, two, and three, several bonuses. And on top of that, I'm going to walk you through over a dozen trades that I put on inside of my account, holding your hand and showing you exactly how I got in, how I got out, how I use the artificial intelligence data, and how this could work inside of your own trading portfolio on a daily basis. So make sure you head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com to learn more and to get started and to download 
my decade plus worth of trading experience into your hands so you can start using the AI stock trading system today. The five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 10MinuteStockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. TimInstockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimInstockTrader.com and Christopher Ewell are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimInstockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.